Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hi, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. In today's episode, we're airing part two of a live talk that I gave at a Catholic men's conference entitled, The Heart of Fatherhood. It's interesting. It seems statistically, I'm not recommending this, but statistically, those who go for marriage counseling to a good marriage counselor. One of the things to ask if you go to a marriage counselor is, how's your marriage? No, I'm on my third spouse, you know. Uh, I would move on, you know. But in any case, a good marriage counselor. Some uh, couples went to their priest or their pastor. Some went to some kind of mentoring program like Retrovi. And amazingly, some did absolutely nothing. In other words, sought no help outside their own marriage. And here's the stats. Very unhappy couples, all these groups, the ones that saw counselors, the ones that saw priests and pastors, the ones that mentoring, or the ones that did nothing, they're all the same, basically. They came out five years later, the very unhappy couples, five years later, no matter what they did, 77% described their marriage as, quote, quite happy or very happy. All they did was get through the double dip. And a lot of marriages, what's happening in our culture, because there's not the cultural reinforcement to stay together, and I'm not saying stay together in an abusive situation, particularly physically abusive and all that. I'm talking about just the double dip. And you can get through that. And one of the best ways to get through that, if you guys really want to do something, the probability of saving a marriage through counseling is 20%. It goes up quite a bit if you get a good counselor. The probability of saving a marriage through a mentoring program with just somebody comes alongside just to hang with you and maybe pray for you is 80%. 20% versus 80%. In other words, if you had an a, a email address or a cell phone number in your parish bulletin, going through a rough patch in your marriage, call this number. And a couple, has anybody here been through a uh, double dip? Okay, a lot of liars. Come on. Yeah. Okay. So, you just need experts, not counselors. You don't try to counsel people and all that. Just like, yeah, we've been through that, and we're going to hang with you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to listen to you a little bit, and uh, maybe recommend a couple of things going on in the diocese here, but uh, 80% probability of helping them through the double dip. Got it? doesn't cost anything except for a couple, couple, couple co- cups of coffee. All right. Now, here we go. Um, sorry, but I saved some things for the last ten minutes. And just so you know, my, did I mention this CD? Yeah, I'm getting brain dead here. All right. The last ten minutes of my last talk, and now these ten. Um, I thought a, a very long time on this because... You know, the years since the turning of the calendar of the year 2000 have been incredible changes in our culture. And if you're a dad, you've got to be hyper-concerned with what's going on in our culture. We're losing it. And a friend and I have described the situation as, you know, everything has been 
turned upside down, like the Poseidon adventure. But in my lifetime, abortion was illegal. In my lifetime, same-sex marriage was illegal. In my lifetime, pumping filth over network TV was illegal. But our sons and daughters growing up in this culture, that's normal. Everything upside down is now normal. And if you don't think that's a threat, there's the beginning of the book of Revelation has seven letters to seven Catholic churches. And if you look at the archaeology and the cultural situation of those seven churches, where Jesus rebukes the seven churches, it's because of the cultural weaknesses that those churches find themselves in. So what do we do in a cultural situation like ours? And, you know, you don't have to freak out. Catholics have been here before. Catholicism started in a radical pagan empire. I mean, babies were left at the garbage dump. And Christians went out and got them. I mean, this is where Catholicism was born. But there's a verse which has become... To me, the warning verse. You just can't. This isn't just happy uh, times. We got to be very serious about our times and what are the consequences. Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse 12 said this. And because wickedness is multiplied, I, I don't think I need to go through the whole litany, just read USA Today or whatever you read. Because wickedness is multiplied, most. Men's love will grow cold. Now, if you think about this, Jesus is not talking about Joe Pagan because his love can't grow cold. He doesn't have the love for God. He's talking about believers because the cultural wickedness multiplies most means a majority will have a tendency for love to grow cold. That's what we're facing. So what's the remedy? I started out men's conferences almost everywhere I went quoting Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. And it's talking about Abraham. And the reason Abraham's so important to dads is like you have St. Joseph in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you have Abraham. And just a little Hebrew lesson. Abram, the first part of his name means father. Abraham, since Hebrew is a very limited language, it's like a superlative, super exalted father. This was like, in Hebrew, a neon light flashing Pay attention to this father, okay? And this is what God says in Genesis 18. For I have chosen him that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. See, the father is going to take direct, primary, non-subcontracted responsibility to convey the faith to his children. God chose him because I know he's going to have he's going to charge his children personally to keep the way of the Lord and doing righteousness so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. 
God promised to Abraham that through his family, he was going to bless the whole world. And that was 2000 B.C. 2,000 years later, he's in the first verses of the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham, you see. His family lasted for 2,000 years. And then if you know what the Catholic Church is, the Catholic Church are the children of Abraham who believe in the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. We're in the family of Abraham. That's what the Catholic Church is, Jew and Gentile. But let me back up. That one verse... That God says, I'm going to bring all this about. I'm going to bring about the plan of salvation. I'm going to bring about the Messiah because of this man's family, super father. And what's so super about him? Because I know that he, not somebody else, not nice guys, he is going to instruct his children after him to keep the way of the Lord. Gentlemen, this is what will work when everything else is failing. This is plan A. There's not a plan B when the culture collapses. A lot of things have worked great the last hundred years, last two hundred years. But it's not going to work in today. And the interesting thing is, if you take Genesis 18 and verse 19 and just kind of pan out and get the wider view, the context of this single verse is in the midst of God on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The cultural context of Genesis 18-19 is Sodom and Gomorrah. And while this culture had decided to self-destruct, God says, I'm going to keep this man's faith going. And through the family, with the father directly involved, it's only been the last 200 years. It's, we've had all these experts and teachers and everything, and those are great secondary resources. But you can't let that come between you and your children and passing on the faith. And I dare say, what you really need to do is, is not, you know, I just say it, Catholic hot air is the domestic church. It's talked about, but it's not lived. The domestic church, that means that what goes on, at Mass, you want to bring some of that home and practice it in your home. And I'm going to share with you a way that you as a dad, taking no more than 15 minutes a week, can bring the gospel home. And you don't have to be a theologian or religious expert or anything else. It's a rather simple step. Okay, What I would recommend is that you take the gospel reading that you hear in Mass. Okay? And that's what you want to bring home and repeat. Because I don't know if you're aware, it's a, it's a real blow to homilists and preachers. But something like 80% of the people in Mass or a Protestant congregation can't remember what anything was about by the time they hit the back door. Okay, It's just a fact of life. And if you repeat it at home, you'd be surprised what that does to the memory banks. Okay, And it reinforces it. So you just take the Gospel passage... Um, that you heard in Mass and bring it home. Then what I would recommend is you get yourself a hold of one of these little volumes of the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. And uh, this one is on the Gospel of Luke. You can get the whole Old Testament, but it's kind of fat and big and intimidating. Uh, You can just get the Gospel for that year. Okay. The nice thing about a study Bible, you'll have on the top portion of the page... The text that you heard in Mass. 
And you can read it to your family. I think it's very important. Um, I like to share with the family, let the kids take a turn reading. But my wife, Karen, I think very wisely said, I think they need to hear their father, though, say God's word aloud in the family. And uh, I think she's picked up some of these statistics that I shared with you. Okay, So you read the gospel passage, and then you're thinking, okay... Well, what if they ask me a question what it's about? Well, one thing is try to stay awake during the homily. <laughs> okay? I mean, that's a real help. And then the second help is that the bottom half of this page are very brief, exceedingly succinct explanations of what you're reading up here. You don't have to turn any page or go to any other book. So, uh, you know, it's all there on one page. And if you want to read... Uh, kind of, you know, go a little extra on this. This is done by um, Scott Hahn and Curtis Mitch. And Scott Hahn's website, which is salvationhistory.com, every week, Scott does a five-minute audio clip on what's going on in the Gospel passage that Sunday. So, all you do is, before your Sunday reading... You read the passage, have a little bit about what it's about. That should take you about three or four minutes. Go to Scott's website, and if you're clever on your smartphone, you can probably get on your smartphone and listen to it on the way home. That's five minutes. So we're up to eight minutes. okay? And then, basically, we want to read one paragraph, and you make one comment on what this means. You can get it from Mass. You can get it from the bottom half of the page. You can get it from Scott Hahn's five-minute comment. Okay? If you can't get one of those three, you're hopeless. But in any case, you'll be able to get one from one of those three. Okay? So one paragraph, one question, and then you have... Excuse me, one comment, and then one question. You think, well, phew, what am I going to ask? Well, you just go to the back. Don't tell your kids. But in the back, there's questions about every chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Just pick one that you like and ask. Okay? Or just, just an observational question. Or um, What do you think of something Father said about this to kind of try to highlight it and bring it and refresh their memory? And, you know, this isn't trying to be a theological expert with your kids and convey a whole ton of information. It's about functioning. It's about dad functioning in the home. It's doing what Abraham, the super father, did to keep the faith going through thick and thin, unimaginable pagan situations right for 2,000 years until Jesus Christ came. This is what works. Okay? A lot of other things aren't holding up. We're losing our young people rather quick. Alright? Now, here we go to the question of what do we do with the 60% washout of Catholic older teens and young adults who are active practicing their faith during the teen years and quit. 60%. This is the majority of young people are washing out. Now there's a multitude of reasons that I think, and that was by the way Barna, the 60%. This is from Pew Research. 60% I, I, might be a coincidence, might be something here, but a different pollster found out, Pew, 60% of Catholic young adults ages 18 to 29 were uncertain 
that it's even possible to have a personal relationship with God. 60% wash out. 60% are unsure if it's even possible to have such a thing as a personal relationship with God. Um, you might know that a lot of Hispanics are leaving the Catholic Church for greener pastures. 90% of Hispanics who leave the Catholic Church for evangelical churches say they are seeking a more direct personal relationship with God. Now, this is what I'm dealing with in the book I'm, I'm writing, but I'm just going to try to give it to you very simply. But it's, this is big. How do you pass on, or how do you even get for yourself, a true religious knowledge of God? And I'll tell you, there's a bit of a weakness within our circles that imagines that if I just get certain religious facts into the minds of young people, we got it. That's what our job is. Just get the religious facts in the mind and form the mind that way. Let me read to you two scriptures, and there's a lot of these, but just uh, two. The first from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. This is St. Paul. He's praying for the Catholics in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. In other words, we're going to know God having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, there is a huge, huge mistake that English-speaking Christians are making when they read a passage like this. When they read hearts, they think, Oh yeah, that's like that card I got to pick up that I almost forgot on Valentine's Day. You know, kind of a nice, warm, emotional type thing. And they think that, um, and maybe youth pastors think, oh, we got to really emotionally jack this thing up. Because it talks about knowing God with the heart. Now, the emotions in Greek, in the Greek New Testament, refer to the gut, the intestines, the bowels. That's where the emotions are if you want to locate it. You obviously have the mind. The heart is the seat of wisdom. It's the deepest core of the person. And if the heart isn't enlightened and touched with the knowledge of God, in today's world, it's not going to stick if it's abstract religious knowledge. Listen to Jesus himself, Matthew thirteen fifteen. For this people's heart has grown dull. Their ears are heavy of hearing. Their eyes have closed that they should perceive with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn for me to heal them. There is a depth of knowledge of God. And we're not talking about some esoteric wisdom for uh, the 1% who climbed the seven-story mountain. There's people who are far better at that stuff than me. I'm talking about meat and potatoes Catholicism involves the heart coming to grasp and understand God. If you want a fancy name, it's called epistemolo epistemology. How do we come to know what we know? 
And listen to this quote. The organ for seeing God is the heart. The intellect alone is not enough. Do you think that was some kind of like flabby mystic who's anti-intellectual? Let me read that again. The organ for seeing God is the heart. The intellect alone is not enough. Pope Benedict XVI. Probably the finest intellect in all of Europe. Literally a genius. And yet, if you really read what he's writing, um, Catholics left and right have missed a pope. They don't realize that this man not only has the finest mind in Europe, but he realizes that the true knowledge of God is also formed with the heart. And let me ask you this. If a personal relationship with God, if, if almost two-thirds of young Catholic adults don't even know if it's possible, so where, where do Catholics place young people in order to have a personal relationship with God? It's in a classroom. Now let me ask you, young men, older men, when you're courting your wives, or you guys going on a date, you go on a date to your classroom? And honey, let's, let's go out Saturday night and sit in the classroom. I mean, that's where we form personal relationships. No. You go to parks, you go to restaurants, you go to concerts, you, you do, go on a bike ride, you do something that builds relationships. And yet... We trust a place that humans will not try to form. I mean, just even guys, you don't even try to do business in the boardroom. You know you've got to go out on the golf course to really get business done. Because there's, there's a bonding that takes place that precedes the business deal. Hello? It's the relationship bond between father and his children, his parents and their children, and the strength of that relationship bond will be the strength of the faith that goes over that relationship bridge. And we're trying to just abstractly give religious information to children, and we're living in a pagan culture and expecting that to have them get them through it. And it's just not going to work. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah, quoting God himself, says, The Lord said, this is Isaiah 29, This people draws near me with their mouth, honors me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote. You see, you got it. I mean, I'm in for forming the intellect. I, you know, talking about weaknesses, Father Larry... I mean, mine's books. Okay, I like books, particularly religious books. Too much, I like them. Okay, I'm not. I'm very much into forming the intellect, but the intellect alone is not enough. You got to go deeper, and that deeper comes with relationships. And if you want a relationship with God, then you have to have a relationship between teacher and student. Teacher doesn't even know the students name or birthday or favorite brand of ice cream you're saying that's a relationship that the faith is going to cross over strong enough to survive and I'm not saying these you know the classroom instruction isn't good but it's possible to go in today's world to go through classroom instruction to go through Catholic school high school and college and walk away from the faith and it's happening by the millions. And it's, it's, it's the relationship bond. Listen to, again, what Pope Benedict said in 2008. Christianity is not a new philosophy or a new morality. 
We are only Christians if we encounter Christ. Only in this personal relationship with Christ, only in this encounter with the risen one, do we truly become Christians. I'm going to share with you, this is, this is, just, this is just pure gold. Okay? This is pure gold from St. John Paul II. Who, by the way, if you're wondering how does a Protestant minister become a Catholic, it's reading St. John Paul II for all the Christian family in the modern world. That's what did me in. Okay? So in any case, here's St. John Paul II. Catechesis in our time. Men, we're not living in the 50s. Okay? Just get that. Catechesis in our time, this is what he said. Catechesis, and I would add sacramental preparation, must often concern itself not only with nourishing and teaching the faith, but also with arousing it unceasingly with the help of grace, with opening the heart, with converting and preparing total adherence to Jesus Christ on the part of those who are still on the threshold of faith. This concern will decide the tone, the language, and the method of catechesis. Now, I mean... If you want a good catechesis tool, in my book, it's not a classroom, it would be a backpack. Be a mountain cabin. It would be a desert retreat. It would be some place where relationships are formed. We really need some revolution, guys. And fathers can do this with their own kids. It's better than anybody else because you already have the relationship. You share DNA with your sons and your daughters and go through it. Um, I'm lost in time. How am I doing? All right. Well, I got a minute or two to tell you about an experience I had years ago, which I thought was just, you know, one of those things that happen once in your life and you go on. Um, When I was a young evangelical, I volunteered to lead a camp of 100 kids for a week. Must have been crazy, but uh, this went from like 6-something in the morning to about 9, 9.30 at night. And, you know, we had Bible lessons, we had athletic activities, we had crafts, we had campfire stuff, and uh, we ended up doing a lot of stuff. And then there's a group of boys that we knew were coming that were highly disturbed. Um, Most of this small group were extreme troublemakers. Um, Some of them were seeing psychologists. Others were on medication from psychiatrists. And we knew this was going to be such a difficult task with these boys. We set a separate, put them all in one cabin, and we're going to give a counselor. He was just going to stay on top of them all week long because that was a full-time job. Well, that counselor got sick. And they were having me just sleep away in my own cabin so I could lead all the kids during the day. So guess who got that cabin? Well, the first night was really bad. I walked into a sea of profanity and everything else. And I had just gotten out of the Navy. And honestly, I didn't know what to do. I'd probably be sued and thrown in jail today, so don't tell anybody about this. But in the Navy, if you don't like boot camp, they send you over to the Marines for a few days. And you come back real humble and ready to go along with anything the Navy has to say. So I took them outside. Um, did a couple of things, made them do push-ups and stress exercises and stuff like that. And uh, I said, okay, we're done with this. This is behind us. 
And I said, if you guys will keep, we're going to have an inspection in the morning. I kind of reverted it to the military mode. But I said, if you guys pass inspection every morning, and this is what I want. This is how I want the cabin cleaned up, every bunk made, blah, 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 blah. If we can do that by a certain time in the morning, in the last night of this camp, I'm going to buy you guys all the chocolate you can possibly eat. And he goes, all right, all right. So we got a good start next morning, got the cabin going. And I decided, I got, these guys need a challenge. So there was a pretty good ravine. Uh, this is in mountains of California. And the ravine was deep enough that if you fell into it, you could break maybe one or two bones. I mean, it was a good drop. And what we decided to do, and my core team were these boys, we took axes and hatchets and cut wood and lashed logs all the way across this ravine. Okay, And uh, it took the whole week. We, we worked till we were just sweaty. We all had blisters in our hands and everything else. But, you know, we were doing things together. We weren't just building a bridge. We were building relationships, okay? And, uh, and then we uh, sent the senior pastor across the bridge first to make sure it worked. <laughs> so, last night of this camp, I'm coming up to the mountain cabin. And I don't think I've ever been so tired in my life. At this point in my life, I was pretty energetic. Uh, I did regular running and cycling and swimming, and, you know, I could stay ahead of these kids. But, man, after this week, I was just wiped. And I used to race the kids up to the hill to the cabin and stuff like that. And this night, just it was hard just walking up the hill to this cabin. And I was about to go in. I had my big pile of chocolate. And uh, I just stopped. I said, Lord, you know, you know, these boys are probably headed for a life just real trouble unless you intervene somehow or another and the best part about it I was so tired that I didn't have a plan I had a plan every hour of waking moments for the whole week but at this point all I was going to do is go and give them the chocolate but I thought no you know something's got to happen in their lives so I went in. They were actually asleep. I woke them up for their chocolate. And uh, we lit a couple of candles, put them on the floor. No New Age stuff, just, you know, to have some illumination. And before I said, I want to give you a chocolate, I want to tell you something. Most important thing in the Bible. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And then I jumped from John 3.16 back to Abraham. And I said, this is, Abraham is showing what John 16 is about. Abraham was asked by God to put a knife into the heart of his son. Abraham would have gladly preferred to put it in his own heart, his own life, because his whole future was in his son and in that family. And just about then, one of the boys across from me started going, <clears throat> and all my thinking to myself, I'm really at the point of exhaustion. I said, what now? Just to give you an example, I told you these guys were a little disturbed. One of the boys had some kind of hang-up about using the latrine. So he did number one and number two in his pants. And some of the campers came to me and says, you know, so-and-so is really stinking. So that was my cabin responsibility. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I ran into that week with these boys. And this boy's going, <gasps> and I'm thinking, what is going to happen now? 
and he just started heaving. <gasps> and like, we we're asking him, you all right and stuff? And he just kept, <gasps> he goes, God loves me. <sighs> and then the other boy started heaving. And I'm wondering, what is happening? And it was like, it was like a Pentecost. And God, and I'm not talking about, I mean, I wasn't trying to be dynamic and put any spin. I was exhausted beyond the point of exhaustion. But I was just trying to tell them that God loves them. And God confirmed it by the Holy Spirit. And all of these boys, some started crying, some started singing, some were, uh, you know. And uh, I remember one boy got in the, his dad's car and said, his dad turned around and said, I knew immediately my son was a different man. Because the love of God had touched their hearts. Now, you know, I've moved on from that. Um, I just thought that was one of those things, that wonderful blessing that happens and you go on with your life. And uh, this is my nice cover for Transformative Parenting. My book is going to be called Transformative Catholicism. But I'm thinking real seriously. People have no idea what I'm talking about, but putting a mountain cabin on the cover of that book. Because I've come to the conclusion that that wasn't just something that happened back then that was just kind of unrelated and becoming a Catholic and concern for the state of the vibrant. We need a vibrant faith to survive in a culture where wickedness is multiplying. And then I came across a verse in the Paul's letter to the Romans. Now you've got to realize, as a former evangelical pastor, I thought, if there's one book of the Bible which is ours against the Catholics, it's the epistle of Paul to the Romans. <laughs> I laugh now. To the Romans? There were no Protestants back then, so it could have been called the epistle of Paul to the Roman Catholics. Do you get it? Yeah. I mean, I was like, what was I thinking? Okay. But St. Paul... If you know what's going on in Romans, you had two groups. Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians. They were at odds with each other. And he was trying to tell them, no. You can't be at odds with each other because you're part of the same family. The Catholic family. And that's why right around in Romans, he starts talking about Abraham. And then he starts talking about God the Father. And about Abba Father. And then this verse in Romans 5.5. 5, critical verse. To me, this is the verse for the situation we find ourselves. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And that's what got the first century Roman Catholics to survive and to thrive in the first century. It was having a personal encounter with Christ. And it wasn't by trying to do it themselves. This is, I mean, my cabin in that camp, I mean, if you would vote, uh, who is the least likely in that camp out of a hundred kids to have God pour? This isn't based on who you are and how wealthy you are, how smart you are, you know, what you do and what you don't. This is the mercy of God for those who are simply willing to trust to believe that the promise of God is true. And once you do that, God confirms that in your heart. There were first century Roman Catholics going around going, 
Abba, Father, God loves me. First century Roman Catholics were like the kids in my camp. It took me just 40 years to realize this. And this is what we want. Is the heart of our fatherhood as dads in homes. To convey a faith with the heart of God the Father to our sons and our daughters. And that faith will not wash out. Will not jump ship. But will thrive and survive until Christ comes for His church. God bless you. You've been listening to part two of Heart of the Father, a live conference talk by Steve Wood. Thanks for listening to Faith and Family. Visit us at dads.org to get a copy of Steve's book, Legacy, a father's handbook for raising godly children. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.